With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Um, we've got Randy coming in from sunny California and, and really looks amazing there. I'm, you know, heat wave here in the Midwest. Uh, most importantly, what we, we're, we're kind of seeing right now is the summer is kind of trailing to a close. Uh, Bitcoin has come back from, you know, 18,000. I think it was its low, maybe a little lower than that. We're sitting at about 23,000 today. So coming back up, but still quite a bit of FUD in the market. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of large funds we're, we're still seeing. Um, you know, eight, uh, three arrows capital and about a bunch of others in the middle of meltdown. So the market isn't hot. It's definitely not a bull. Uh, but most importantly, what we're really seeing a lot of, and I think it's so important in this phase, uh, is we're seeing the innovation. We're seeing the builders suddenly put down the the uh, the trading view of watching their coins every ten seconds and saying, "What can I build? How can I build it? And why should I build it?" And Randy is a perfect example of kind of that serial entrepreneur in this space as well as others. So Randy. Let me go ahead and kick it off to you. Um, how are you doing? Um, but but let's start off with a little bit of background of kind of what got you interested in the space, your first uh, exposure to cryptocurrency, and really what you got you excited today. Great. First of all, thanks for having me on your show, Jay. It's a little pressure. Um, watch a lot of your podcasts, and it's very interesting what you guys are bringing to the market. So um, Randy Prado um, from Fairride, we're a new class of ride hailing and transport booking platform starting here in uh, sunny Napa Valley, California. So we're an early stage tech company intent in creating a, a ride hailing service that powers the marketplace through technology, specifically uh, Web3. Uh, I actually grew up in Melbourne, Australia, but it's a very convoluted accent because I spent a lot of my time actually over here in Napa, some stage of my life and also in the Philippines. But, you know, a good part of my uh, teenage year, uh, I'm a marketing uh, guy by qualification, but really uh, a tech head, having built my own first DOS-based computer at the age of 14. So I, I started my career here with Hewlett Packard and then eventually in Melbourne as a marketing cadet in the mergers and acquisitions group. So it's always been in my blood to, to do startup. You know, uh, the same team that uh, brought the HP calculator to the market, so I'm showing my age now, uh, was the team that I actually uh, got my first uh, feel of uh, what a startup's like. So since then, my passion is all about building a tech company from scratch, which was basically what we did when I was uh, appointed as a country director as the first headcount for Nokia Internet Communications in Australia and New Zealand. So what we do, used to do, then we used to evangelize at Nokia back then that the voice has gone mobile and soon data or the internet will also be mobile, which is what we're seeing today. Uh, proudly, uh, we pioneered the proliferation of um, what was then the WAP technology, the wireless application protocol. To me back then, uh, Jay, uh, that was the equivalent of what Web3 is today. That's why what's getting me excited because purely we're starting an adoption stage. Uh, we had a WAP server, which we're trying to introduce to the corporate world for carrying data and internet communication. And people were skeptical as what they are today about blockchain and Web3. 
So uh, to proliferate this even worse was uh, when we're introducing WAP to the banks, to what we're now accustomed to, uh, what internet banking is today in IoT and e-commerce, etc. So my personal view is that Web3 is how WML, wireless markup language, was back then before it became the mainstream technology for web and uh, mobile for several years. People used to be wary about using their cell phones for paying and buying things online. My friends and relatives used to think I've lost it because I'm trying to convince them to use their Nokia 7110 to access the Westpac bank account, which was one of the first banks in Australia at the time to introduce the mobile banking. Yeah, you know, there's so many good points there that, that you bring up. And, and absolutely, it is, it's easy to remember, but it's also easy to forget how, like, when, when you talk about putting a credit card in online early in Web yes. 1, you know, in the, in the late 90s and even early 2000s, um, mm-hmm. people will tell you you're insane. Like, there was yeah. special credit cards and ads, like, this credit card is safe to use online. And I remember, I, still, I think they still have it, it's probably downplayed, but um, one of my credit cards used to be able to log in and they give you a special credit, special number with here's the amount that you can use and it's a one-time use number and that's it. And, yes. and so I think that still peripherates a little bit, but the idea was that, you know, nothing online is safe. It's evil people. It's, it's everything can be stolen. There's no security. Um, and, and a lot of this is pre SSL. So, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I completely understand what, when you kind of think back to those early days of like, we're just trying to get like devices to talk to each other. We're just trying to get someone to use the technologies there. It's solid. Mm-hmm. How do we mm-hmm. get users to actually want to use it? Um, you know, it's very similar today. Blockchain exists. It's relatively stable. Um, does it have its issues? You know, it depends on the day of the week and the chain you're on. But yeah, absolutely. It has the problems. But for the most part, they keep chugging away. Um, yeah. the, the idea that, you know, people are going to move their monetary, you know, assets, uh, you know, their, their, their currency, their, their assets and their identity online um, sounds crazy today. But, you know, we'll look back in 10 years and go, oh, my God, you used to carry around a wallet? Like, what do you mean you used to use, you know, that like cash? Um, is that what is that yes. kind of the way you feel? Is like it's just a matter of time? Well, the, the funny thing is that the parallel between back then and today, uh, Jay, is that, you know, here we are, we're trying to actually put everything online, you know, our, our medical records, you know, our, our wallets and so forth, you know, and there's also the decentralized platform versus, you know, the TradFi and the DeFi and so forth. Back then, when we we're trying to introduce the wallet, it was a question of who owns the customer. The telco says, it's our customer. But the bank says, no, it's our customer, right? So who's going to carry the credit? You know, technically speaking, the telcos themselves, they're back because they let us lend us so much money, you know, in our phone bill. Sometimes I rack up about ten to $14,000 on my uh, phone bill, right? So essentially, uh, that was a pretty historic time for me. So apart from the fact that, you know, my, my son was born in 2000. The Y2K bug was upon us. The dot-com era was at its peak. And uh, we did our first startup by doing a small backdoor listing on the ASX, right? The Australian Stock Exchange. So in, in 2000, the very first startup I co-founded after my tenure at Nokia was called Portitech, Portable Internet Technologies. It was listed on the ASX as Orange Solutions. So if you remember the Palm Pilot? Yep. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we, we developed the first ruggedized app based on the Palm OS back then and everything else that was wireless. So 20 years late, later, I'm feeling a deja vu seeing the 2020s will be another decade full of historical and defining moments for the information technology. Not saying that the introduction of blockchain Bitcoin earlier was anything less ordinary, but you know, um, it, it's really amazing where we are at the moment. You know, and, and let's let's take a guess. And this is this is a guess. We're not going to hold you to this. But if we yep. if we go back to to kind of Web one, which mm-hmm. you know was really kind of started, I'd, I'd say in like ninety two, ninety three yep. would be the early you know Prodigy, CompuServe, everything else. I, I want to say AOL uh, showed up around you know ninety seven, um, ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, yep. You know where do you, where do you think that 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 the Web3 kind of cryptosphere, where do, where do you think it sits today in terms of just general year of compared to Web1? Man, it's it's light years ahead, Jay. You know, it's chalk and cheese, right? You can't really make a comparison. It's like trying to compare, you know, uh, um, ho- ho- horse-drawn carriage, right? Versus where we are today with battery-operated Teslas. Yeah, okay. Uh, is this, uh, I was, me, I was more referring real- to adoption rate. <laughs> The number of, oh, of okay. how of how we get it. Uh, so I apologize, I didn't clarify yeah. that question. So as, as far as like yeah. consumer adoption, because well, AOL brought on, AOL brought on just a massive amounts of people. It was the first time people go, oh, okay, I get it, I can use yeah. this. Yeah, well, I think the wide proliferation of uh, smartphones is making the difference. You know, back then, you know, uh, if you remember the seventy one ten, oh with god, the, yeah, with indestructible the, with a map mouse on front of it. Yep. right. So. You know, nothing's changed back then, actually, because when we launched it, you know, for the major banks in Australia, wanted to send me the web server back because no one's adopting internet banking at the, at the time. You know, unfortunately, uh, Keanu Reeves kill, killed our market when he when he launched that phone, and every just everybody just wanted to buy it for looks, right? Not for usage. Right? Yeah. But today, you know, if you launch an app, everybody will see it. So it's just a matter of downloading it, right? To, yep. Thanks to people like Steve Jobs, you know, you can download now an app and penetrate the market. And hence, that's the same question I get asked by people. How's the adoption going to happen for Fairride? Well, the entry level is pretty low. Let, let's go ahead and talk about downloading an app, and and you know, so yeah. give us the overview of, of Fairride if you want the uh, the elevator pitch per se, because it's a very interesting concept and a twist on some things that exist today. Yeah, well, if we can fast forward to two thousand and nine, uh, when I decided to uh, move back to Manila, uh, Philippines, uh, to set up a, a boutique software development company called Republicis. So we did all sorts of apps uh, for other Australian and American companies, from logistics management point of sale system to crowdfunding platform. But it wasn't until 2018 when we developed our own e-wallet platform uh, called uh, PhonePair in the Philippines and HyperPocket over here in the US. So, But when we were about to launch the e-wallet in 2020, as we all know what happened right in the midst of the pandemic, myself, Dev and I, you know, we're working from home. So what are we going to do, right? So we can't launch the wallet at the time because we couldn't even leave our house. So we then developed other platforms that we could leverage the e-wallet from. So like a real estate um, buying and renting platform, kitchen delivery system for cloud kitchens. And we also developed a ride hailing app for tricycles in the Philippines called Trike. Right. If you you know those tuk tuk in Thailand, so there's no such a thing. And Grab is a major player there. You know, how about we deliver? We create an application. So, when my co-founder Oxy, uh, who's a Lyft driver here in Napa, 
So the app, he asked me to localize it for Napa Valley at the time. You know, he gets pinged directly from riders stuck in the middle of nowhere here in Sonoma or, you know, up in uh, St. Helena at an odd time with no ride hailing car to pick him up. So my first reaction was, are we competing against the monolithic companies as home bases right here, here in Northern California? But after we assessed the market, we thought there's a use case to create a platform that is not necessarily competing against incumbents, but to create an app that embraces Web3 technology. What do I mean by that? So Fairride uh, have uh, quantified the effects of the current market factors in ride hailing and chartered transport services to develop a more robust business model here. You know, if you look around, uh, there's a lot of those chartered buses, private wine tours and so forth. So having done our own extensive research and analysis, we're able to isolate and quantify the pure evolutionary effect of time on adoption for ride hailing and chartered transportation services, right? Uh, $1,200 a day to rent one of those uh, uh, limousines over here in uh, in Napa Valley. So we've taken those into account, you know, each socio-demographic variables in the evolution of ride-hailing and chauffeur-driven transport usage. Our market research generally relied on secondary data because obviously by conducting our own survey to quantify the model, uh, you know, uh, our competitors want share the data. So the demographic variable and individual's propensity to use ride hailing, it's softened over time. You know, there's no real differentiator between Lyft and Uber, right? If I go overseas, use DD, grab in the Philippines, it's the same thing. Yep. Right. Yeah. So so resulting to reduce the differences in ride hailing services in geographic segments that we studied included Napa Valley, Vegas, Orlando, Florida. San Francisco downtown, Los Angeles downtown, Manhattan. If you can see the pattern there, Jay, you know, it's a combination of really high intensive population with a lot of nomadic uh, population coming in and out, right? So it makes sense to, to get a ride hailing company to pick you up or to take you to wherever you're going. Yep. So the market gap we identified are evolutionary dynamics specific to the ride hailing industry which will become the precise reasons in our attempt to disrupt this market. So our market strategy, we hope, will generate better unit economics than our competitors because we're focusing on specific geographical locations. So Uber and Lyft don't feel threatened because, you know, we, we looking at a, a larger captive client where there's a high number of passengers that are willing to pay fairer ride hailing and private charter fees. Right, not when somebody actually calls up and hey, there's a surge pricing. So our drivers actually end up sharing that to the ride hailing company. But who's driving? Whose brakes are getting worn out? Who's actually sweating the backside? You know, while they sit in traffic. Right, it's a driver. So in reality, it should be the drivers who's actually getting compensated for the scenario that they're in, right? And uh, we're seeing the demand for ride hailing, in fact, growing by up to 27% in the quarter of this year. So our focus on transportation in specific regions like Napa over expansion and diversification in the US and other countries is to make our global footprint uh, using our core strength, blockchain technology. 
Yeah, and, and I'm going to go ahead and echo, you know, blockchain is a, this is a perfect example and use case um, mm-hmm. for blockchain, you know, ride hailing apps. I mean, there's a variety of things that, that you know, Web2 does very well and, and clearly Uber and Lyft and, and the variety of others have made, you know, tremendous business models out of utilizing uh, those Web2, tech, Web1, Web2 technologies. What, what's missing around, and as you're being very clear, is the transparency and, and essentially the ownership. Um, so, so the idea of, you know, continually enriching, enriching uh, you know cor- the corporate governance uh, over and over and over and over and over and over and over um, with mm-hmm. no with trickle down effect only happening. You know if if the uh, the the above so gods choose it, um, it is yes. kind of going a little bit against you know the, the the culture today, which is trying to be more, especially in Web three, which is you know we want to be a, a community. You want to have multiple you know communities of riders, communities of drivers, and 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 make sure that those two intermix in a variety of ways. Um, so when when Talk a little bit about where you're at today with this project, because I know you you guys have uh, built a lot of the code and and you've also integrated one of your other companies into this as well, correct? That's correct, Jay. Yeah. So uh, we're currently now in test flight on um, iOS as well as on on, um, Android. Um, We've created the app here and given it to a couple of our drivers and done some test rides and so forth, right? And the, what we're seeing is that on an average, because we work on this uh, bid system. So essentially, if I'm in the middle of Sonoma and I can't get a driver, I can actually bribe or tip a driver to come pick me up. Because if a driver uh, wants to pick you up, he's going to take half an hour from Napa to get to Sonoma at the very least. But you go on a five-minute ride. So you need to compensate him for that 30 minutes that he's going to come specifically to pick you up. And, and by no means... All the drivers actually want to make a living and they want to help you out, right? But the democratic aspect is that, you know, it's got to be a parasitative industry model whereby the the fair ride hailing platform creates a fair livelihood for the drivers by applying the power of Web3. So what do I mean by that? So we go through this uh, bid model, right? 20 bucks to go, say, from uh, uh, from San Francisco downtown to to the new uh, Warriors Arena. You know, if, it, if it's actually quite busy, I can actually tip 50, 60 bucks for the driver to come pick me up. Because when he gets there, he's going to get stuck, right? To get out of there and so forth if he doesn't get picked up by another uh, passenger. So... Fairride's plan is not about creating another crypto ecosystem to fuel the speculative aspect of the market. Because what we're doing is we're allowing the drivers and the passengers to start earning some tokens, right? In the form of a reward system. So we're creating Fairbucks. We've just minted Ride, which is our, our governance platform. But we, we want to unlock the hidden values of Web3 to propel uh, significant product productivity enhancement in ride hailing, buying, leasing, renting, and even investing in vehicles, specifically electric or uh, hybrid vehicles. So we're tokenizing uh, some of the vehicles that we're going to rent out to the to, to the drivers. And we're actually concocting the terminology. We're calling it NFFT, which stands for non-fuel Non-fossil fuel uh, transportation. Uh, NFFT, listen, it's, gonna... it's, a, it's a catchy tune. We'll just have to get a little jingle for it. <laughs> it, 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 it is, right? So um, beginning with our own need to implement transparency, control, and compliance with our own organization as well as our user community. So we've begun creating uh, 
a shared registry system that underpins the internal only to begin with the issuance and trading process of buying and selling fair ride shares. So our early investors, uh, instead of giving a share certificate, uh, we give them an NFT version of their share certificate, still registered with SEC, right? So the assets and tokens within our own ecosystem, starting with the share ownership allocated to our founding shareholders, we're tokenizing. So we're going to call it uh, with an acronym FAST, F-A-S-S-T, which stands for Fair Ride Asset Sub-Registry Shares Tracking Platform. So the development of our FAST platform to store and record Fair Ride share certificates will be the genesis of converting all physical shares and assets within the Fair Ride ecosystem on a, on a Web3 platform. Right. So we're hoping that FAST will ease the internal trading and transfers of any assets within the Fairride ecosystem in a compliant and secure manner from company shares, fractional ownership of rental cars, payment to the NFT owners. So if you get a Tesla worth $63,000, for example, plus insurance, plus registration, let's say the fully loaded cost is hundred grand, we'll divide that by 100, right? and sell the NFTs at a thousand bucks each. So every time that Tesla gets rented in a pool of cars or individually, there's a return to the NFT holders, right? So there's a recording and bookkeeping as well as the management of the fair box token rewards are actually kept on, on the blockchain. So, so we'll we'll bypass the uh, security questions for now, um, yep. and, and and let's let's talk a little bit about the marketplace you're you're creating. And so, I, I really love the the idea around like, look, this is this is its own little ecosystem. So you have riders, you have drivers, you have vehicles. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other things that you have in your roadmap around there. But but essentially all around this, it's like you have to have users and you have to have the ability to scale. So yes. how do you, how are you right now planning on attracting attention into you know a relatively crowded market? I mean, Uber and Lyft lose money on every one of their rides. They just give it away, and you know the whole point is they want to burn the taxis out and burn everyone else. How, how can you survive? Um, you know, essentially in a market where uh, a negative profit is is considered okay by by Wall Street. Well, first of all, um, you know, if you look at the way uh, our competitors are run, they're run as a corporate, you know, uh, company, uh, public listed CEOs are nineteen million dollars a year, right? According to the public records, right? Believe me, Jay, I won't be drawing down a, a salary that much, right? <laughs> so we'll be running it pretty slim uh, to start with, and uh, you know, if once we actually scale up to a national model and so forth, then we'll, we'll look at how we can expand it more as a, a federated system that's going to be co-owned by the drivers. So essentially, we're issuing the ride tokens for governance aspect of the business. So as a manager, as a CEO, as a director, our management team will actually be there to look after the driver's welfare and the passenger's welfare. And we're, we're there to basically manage the community. So we're, we're aiming to build uh, what we call an innovative uh, a platform for ride to earn R2E to attract drivers and passengers. So the ecosystem is built on Solana blockchain, in case I've mentioned with native cryptocurrencies, the fair bucks, uh, we call it fair and yep. fair ride tokens calling it ride. So ride is a governance token and fair will be used as a reward system, redeemable for payments of rides or interchangeable for ride tokens. So what this means is that the passengers and drivers alike can earn crypto tokens by simply being part 
and supporting of the Fairride ecosystem. So we're hoping to create a bit of buzz around that. And uh, how are we going to launch it? Uh, a few months time, once we've done our uh, seed race, we're going to launch here in sunny uh, Napa Valley, invite all the concierge services, the restaurants come in for cheese and wine, and we're going to announce it, right? We'll give them a bit of an incentive. Hey, you guys hail up one of our rides. You guys get a token of some sort, right? That's awesome. So, so, so how do you, so talk me through around the app because the, the number of people um, that, that I know that actually know how to use a, a Solana wallet, it, it, whether it's Ethereum or any of these things else, uh, essentially a crypto wallet is really low. Um, so in the Fairright app, do you need to have a wallet or is it kind of managing that from a, from a custodial perspective? So what we did actually, Jay, is that we have adopted one of our e-wallets that we've created. So Hyper, Hyper Pocket, it's called. The okay. technology around Hyper Pocket, it's a, it's a multi-currency e-wallet uh, that we're actually rolling out on the back of it. So it, it's quite ubiquitous to a sense that people store value into their application to say, you know, I've got 50, 80 bucks, or if my kid actually wants to go downtown, I just load up his fair ride wallet so he can use that. Right. So you can also buy uh, fare bucks or ride coins to to utilize that for your transport. So if you were to ride, uh, take the ride and you earn five fare bucks, for example, they'll just accumulate and be shown in your wallet as such, because we don't want people to download, uh, say, for example, a phantom Solana wallet, for example, half or probably 70 percent of the population don't even know what to do with it. So we don't I, want I to get I get closer to ninety-seven to ninety-nine percent. Yeah, you're a bit more generous than I am. So I think I think yeah, that's exactly right. So you know, essentially, people we don't want them to be intimidated about the fact. Now, what do I do with these ride tokens or these fair bucks tokens? Do I actually share it? You know, uh, do I do I utilize? So essentially speaking, they don't need to do anything. At any point in time, we'll give them some sort of valuation where their coins are at. Hey. Uh, Mr. Passenger, Ms. Passenger, you just actually earned enough fare bucks going to get you from Napa Valley to the airport, right? So there's value there on having to accumulate your frequent flyer points, for example, that you can go from here to Hawaii for a certain number of points, right? So I want people to treat it like that to start with until such time. Then they say, what? You know what? The drivers will say, uh, the fare box coins are just sitting there. What am I going to do with it? Uh, Mr. Driver, you can actually change that for ride coins. What does the ride coin do? The ride coin will give you vote, right? So you have a governance token that's going to be utilized by all the drivers to give you guys a vote and a voice on how we're going to run fare ride as such. And secondly, these guys, the, the key aspect of this too, Jay, is that, you know, it, every ride that we bring in, so for every dollar, up to about 24% of the of the 25% that we're taking is actually going into the tokenization. So the liquidity pool for the right tokens actually increases over time. So they'll appreciate in value, we're hoping. Right. It's going to be a managed fund. Sorry. No, no. So, so real quick yep. on that point. So, you, you've you've got a a, a a wallet, crypto wallet, but it's just attached to their account. So, whether they yes. use it or don't use it, but let's say that you do have a couple DGENs in there, and they get a little advantageous. Can they take those tokens and go uh, mess with them over on the DeFi exchanges and and um, you know acquire more? You know, there may be a market for people that are just like you know, I'm never going. I was in Napa. I'm leaving. Let's go ahead and mm -hmm. sell off, sell off my ride tokens. Um, maybe there's somebody that's acquiring them. So are they are they able to self custody if you want? Yes. 
So essentially, it's just going to be on the Phantom wallet. So our shareholders now, actually, they have a Phantom wallet. We give them the share certificates on their Phantom wallet. Okay. You know, any any DEX listening out there or any centralized exchange wants to list ride coins on the platform. Essentially, we're going to have a wider adoption of this. But, you know, on the Solana exchange, for example, we're able now to change uh, exchange fare bucks for ride coins. So ride coins then can be exchanged for USDC, BTC, right? Or any other uh, altcoins out there. Right. So, you know, as those GGENs comes on board, they can change that. The drivers themselves, you know, the, the way I see it, because these guys are 1099 employees, right? They have to uh, accumulate their own 401k. I tell them, you got to look at this as your 401k. Don't touch it. Leave it there, right? Until you retire. Uh, we got one of our drivers who's done uh, 10,000 rides for Uber. Right. If he was to earn, let's say, for example, one ride coin or 10 ride coins for every every uh, ride that he did, he'll have a hundred thousand dollars worth of ride coins by now, which is not bad for your 401k, basically. Right. If you didn't yeah. touch it over time. Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot there. Um, I'm sure you, I'm sure you, I'm sure you keep your lawyers very busy with some of these. Um, I sure. But, you know, let's talk about the tech. And I think that that's really interesting. So you chose Solana. Um, you know, yep. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Solana. I, I think ETH is, is an amazing invention of which time will pass by. Um, it, it has its use cases, but it's not good for rapid transactions. And, and you know, level twos don't even go there. Um, yes. so, so Solana, how has it been developing this on Solana? Um, and, you know, what, what kind of, you know, aspects were you kind of surprised by the, the dev cycles compared to prior uh, projects that you've done kind of in that Web2 space? Well, I mean, you know, uh, we're calling uh, a lot of uh, challenges as such because, you know, essentially a lot of the applications that we developed were, were third-party apps. So uh, we minted the coin uh, on another platform, which actually closed down at the very start when we're doing it. So we have to redo it again. So, you know, essentially, you know, blockchain uh, as a key technology uh, for Web3 is commonly associated with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and altcoins. So to start with, I had to educate my own uh, front-end guys who develops my app, my iOS and my Android apps, what underpins Web3 technology and how legitimate the technology can drive the future of decentralizing trade and commerce by uh, creating a, a circular economy that intertwines a more uh, democratic and fair and participatory participative uh, industry model. So just on the actual workflow in itself, it's not like one of those accounting companies who says to us, hey, just digitize a system so our workflow will be this, right? So one of our business processing guys, you know, um, uh, re-architects the whole design of the way they do things. Uh, you know, uh, the dystopian version of the centralized platform created by the major players today in the right healing industry is not the ideal way where we can actually create an app from scratch by just copying something that's already available. Just to give you an example, uh, victims of uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, the bus that goes from the airport to Napa actually just closed down. So people actually face of having to pay 150 bucks uh, to go from the airport uh, to Napa and vice versa. So what we wanted to do is create a ride hailing for the eight-seater uh, sprinter van that we have so that between seven and eight, eight o'clock hard, hard time, it goes to the airport. Between seven and eight, you can hail the bus to come pick you up in front of your hotel on one of the streets here in Napa. So it's not about creating another crypto ecosystem. We had to create 
an application that would actually give people that productivity enhancement they're looking for. So, you know, with Uber, and, and I'm not as familiar with Lyft, but, you know, Uber, it was mm-hmm. like they had proof of concepts and then they got just piles and piles of money of which they, they continued to burn um, yes. until they asked for more money of which they continued to burn. Um, and it, it scaled, but, but not well, um, not without those piles of money. So, yeah. so looking at, at Fairride and what you're trying to do, I mean, it's, 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 it's looking at, you know, your clear competitors, Uber and Lyft, um, you're yep. trying to make some improvements, putting a little bit more uh, of the um, the governance in the hands of, of the riders as, as well as the drivers and, and giving kind of that, that transparency between both. Mm-hmm. How well can this scale um, without just burning piles of cash? Like, do you believe that this could have a viral effect of which, you know, someone's in Napa, they go, oh my God, I love Fair Ride. Can they take that just back to to their own town and start, you know, asking asking people to integrate or use it, or do you have to have approved centers, which is what it started Uber started with, which is you had to come over, you had to give your car, you know, they look through it and then they approve you to go from there. Right. First of all, um, you know, we talk about decentralization. We'd like this to become a peer-to-peer application. Right? Essentially, it's just about you and me. I'm the driver. You're the passenger. You want to actually call me up, right? I've got my TNC license, or I got my uh, uh, my my uh, my license to actually drive a passenger car. So essentially, it's just about hailing somebody that's available. So all the Uber, Lyft drivers out there, they can drive a fair ride platform, right? We go through a, a vetting process and uh, ensure that they're actually qualified to drive. Apart from that, you know, we don't stop them from actually driving for other companies. So how are we going to expand this? Uh, the obvious model is food and wine deliveries here in Napa Valley, right? Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, some of the monolith uh, uh, companies stripping value from the marketplace. You know, on the average, they take 20 to 25 percent of the fare. That also applies, you know, with food delivery companies like the Grubhub, uh, you know, uh, the Food Panda of this world. They take 20 to 25 percent of the revenue. So where does that leave you as a restaurant? You're already 25% behind the eight ball. You as a passenger, when this is a real experience from my point of view, what happens is that I actually get less portion serving. It's not as big as it used to because you know the restaurant is losing 25% of their revenue. But hence, I look at them and say, who's taking the value? What are they doing with it? And they're still losing money, yep. right? So it's a lose-lose situation for everybody. I'm hoping if we democratize this and it becomes a peer-to-peer thing, the restaurant calls up the rider and and they can just deliver it directly to the consumer even better. I love this. I love it. Absolutely. It's fun. What, what's been kind of uh, a couple of the, the early surprises you've had where you go, oh, <laughs> we didn't anticipate that, um, you know, which is usually the case for early stage startups. Well, in our tokenization stage, you know, using Web3 and blockchain, you know, the, the, this, if there's been a rug pull from a, a financial perspective, there was a rug pull from us from a, from a source code perspective. So we, we just need to expand our, 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 uh, our own team and whereby we're not actually dependent on, on third party platform. And these days, you know, you can just basically download something from GitHub and hopefully mash it up and then turn it out to be your own, right? A lot of open source applications out there. Yeah, you know the the challenge yeah. is, and and I think you're you're experiencing this is experienced this as well. In fact, you very well know it. You know, web one, web two, developing on on that is very much like you know building a race car. Like you can design it, 
you, you kind of spec it out. You send it out on the race courses. It's kind of half finished. You go, whoa, it, it, it wobbles, but it's good. You bring it in the garage and you, you keep yes. doing this until you have a, yeah. a, a perfect vehicle. As you very much realize, you know, Web3 is launching satellites into space. Um, you, mm-hmm. you design it, you test it, you design it, you test it. And then you, you when you fire it off, it's out there. Um, and there's no bringing it back. So, you know, you really have to get the stuff right and build in the, con- the controls that if you do want adjustments, you know, you're responsible for for making those secure. We've seen so many hacks, um, so so many you know kind of bridges get get getting uh, you know taken advantage of and whatnot. Um, that, that from your perspective, you know, as you put this out and you say, look, I want people to have this be their 401k. I want these people to be their you know the retirement to own these. The, the security around that 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 uh, that contract, you know, is is got to be immense. Um, so and as you said, it's there's really very few developers at this day and age that that have that level of expertise. That's exactly right, Jay. So, you know, I mean, the, the challenge is there, but it's all been fun. Uh, you know, from uh, working out the workflow, uh, trying to incorporate Web3 into, you know, traditionally a Web2 environment uh, has been the challenge. And secondly, uh, how do we actually create an application that's going to be a, not another Me Too type of company? And, you know, there's a lot of uh, aspects in the industry whereby the whole application was designed around the corporate objectives, right? For them to make money as such. But if you look at it, what the workflow, like I described to you, the Napa Valley airport kind of scenario, you know, if we created an app, how can you actually aggregate eight customers into one van to get to the airport, for example, right? And also the limousine services here. Uh, The limousine services here work on uh, a referral basis. They have their own clients. They arrive at the airport. You call up your favorite driver, comes and picks you up. So we have now the ability to actually save the driver's uh, profile. So next time you actually come to Napa and say, hey, I like this guy. One of our first drivers names Oxy. I like Oxy. Very friendly guy. I'm going to actually ping him first every time I actually drive to Napa. So you can book him two or three days in advance, specifically that particular driver to come pick you up at the airport. Again, really, really fascinating. Um, So, so Randy, I mean, a really amazing story. I mean, coming from from Web One and, and really designing out kind of the mobile infrastructure for what we use today um, as Web Two from from that early perspective is is really fascinating to hear. And now seeing you know you you going and attacking not really a problem, but but in an enhancement of a solution that's still disrupting the industry actively. I mean, taxis still exist. The medallion st- system still exists, you know, but Uber and Lyft and this ride sharing has, has definitely disrupted it and is clearly taking over, but not without its problems, not without its issues. And so you're kind of now tagging along the heels and saying, we can do it slightly better. And, and here's why, and giving a little bit of that governance back to the the, the actual users. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say in the disclaimer, I am, I am Uber Diamond. Um, and if anybody, nobody knows what that means, Means that means like I get to bump to the front of the line of anyone. Uh, whenever like if you at the outside of a concert, when I hit hail, doesn't matter how long ago you were, I'm the next one in line, um, and right. vice versa. I only get the the five star rated drivers number, so it's they do reward me, but I have no control over any of that. It just means I'm I I don't like renting cars anymore. Um, and and so there's the idea that you can actually go outside of that and control your own you know experience means a ton. Um, you know, as we look at the other, the rest of the ecosystem and, you know, overall Web3 asset class, what else are you seeing that's just kind of got you inspired uh, in, in the same kind of genre? Well, if, if you look at it, uh, the, the finance and leasing of vehicles here uh, in the industry, uh, we can get more drivers in, but some of them can't afford to actually even buy a, a car. So, you know, how are we going to proliferate 
the application around. We want people to become NFFT holders, right? They want them to actually become fractional owners of car that we can offer preferably hybrid or um, EV uh, to actually buy that and put that into our ecosystem. So, you know, when uh, when people actually look at the, the, the models of, of fair technologies, uh, no relation to fair ride uh, and two row, right? Um, if you look at a lot of those business, you know, for cars as a service model, the demand for subscription ownership is still widely popular with ride sharing and other delivery as a service. You know, I want to be able to actually uh, get a car so I can deliver food, for example. And they need cars, uh, access to cars to support the businesses for short term and cheaper price points. I think that's something that we need to change. And if we can actually create a, uh, an ecosystem where the cars or the vehicles can get crowdfunded. Right. I'd like to take this back over to the Philippines, you know, for uh, for social good, so that somebody over here in the U.S., for example, can buy uh, somebody a little tuk-tuk, you know, for three thousand dollars and get them to pay for that, right? In an NFT format, right? So I, I think we we can expand this a whole lot of other lengthways and you know sideways that we can we can actually look at. But you know, for for fair ride, um, we don't intend to enter into business of um, lending money, for example, for drivers to buy cars per se. But instead, we want to partner with third-party people out there who wants to finance and willing to actually lease these vehicles you know, for the fair ride driver or the ecosystem. That's one thing that we're looking at as yeah, well. Yeah, no, listen, I'm a huge, huge, huge yep. fan of, of tokenization of assets. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be one of the biggest things coming over the next few years as regulation allows. Um, so absolutely love it. So, so Randy, you, you, you've, you've got the platform, you're, you're in test flight, which means, um, you know, it's kind of early, early beta. Yep. Um, if somebody wants to, to get involved, uh, be a test driver, and they're in the Napa area, how can they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, so um, essentially, you know, but uh, when you go on a test flight, uh, it's just by invite only. Uh, we, we've got 82 registered drivers now in our system. So we're just waiting actually for delivery of about 10 to 12 Teslas uh, that we're going to get in, uh, in a couple keep, of vans. Keep, keep waiting. <laughs> yes, it, exactly. it took me 18 months to get my new X. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, that's what it is. So, but you know, we're we're talking to Toyota as well here. We're looking at hybrids as well and plug-in hybrids. So they're quite good. A lot of people actually have a a problem. A lot of our drivers have a problem with Tesla having a very short range, even the 350 mile uh, big batteries. Right? Uh, they find it really cumbersome to go out there and you know and plug it and wait for half an hour or so. Right? So we're thinking of having 10 drivers and 11 cars. So keep that one plugged in, and the other guy comes back here. So we're thinking of different logistics things and. When people actually want to come and drive for us, we'll let you know. Uh, we'll certainly go out there and reach out to all the drivers and social media, the unions and so forth. Uh, you know, in those areas I mentioned, Vegas, New York, Manhattan, Orlando, Florida, and um, uh, and over here in, in San Francisco and, and L.A., downtown L.A., I should say. I love it. Randy, have you, even, have you even talked to anyone before about this? Or, or you guys have been dark building this for a while, haven't you? You, you guys have the the scoop here, Jay. You were the first uh, public uh, podcast platform that actually we've been into. So thanks to uh, Brady Borbian, who's also a Y whale, and you know he's introduced us to you guys. And uh, I think it's rightful that somebody like Brady, who's a Y whale, actually gave us the confidence and put up his first investment to one of our early investors. 
I love it. I love it. Well, uh, for, from Y Wales to us, we, we wish you the best of luck. We hope to have you on Fireside here soon. We'll learn more about uh, this journey and continue to watch you uh, as it grows. Uh, y Wales, for, for all of you guys out there, this is Randy with Fairide. Um, check it out and, and absolutely, um, you know, lots more to come. But thanks so much and we'll, we'll catch you soon. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, everyone. Bye for now. Y Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. Y Wales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.